All right. So what are we uh, what are we talking about today, Jeremy? Uh, I got J six and how they're screwing everybody and lying to everyone. All right. Uh, what do you got? I have well, I have a very small election twenty four update, but I okay. really have what I dug into was the uh, the origin of the COVID virus hearing on Capitol Hill in the House. That was a long one. Uh, that was my gift to you. <laughs> you didn't have to watch it. Thank you. Uh, but it's really that's a very interesting one. Um, and I have a very brief Ukraine update. Oh, and okay. uh, Disney star Joshua Bassett. Uh-huh. Uh, he was on High School Musical. He has a confession, and I've got it. All right, let's do it. You ready? Yeah. All right, let's roll this. Okay, people, let's begin. Lift off, we have lift off. Jeremy, Jeremy Siegel, are you out there? Hello, Mr. Marcus. Jeremy Siegel, are you ready to be baited, Jeremy? I'm ready. With the truth, Jeremy? If that's what you're bringing to the table. That's what we got. You're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Friday, March 10th, 2023. This is episode... Do you know what episode this is, Jeremy? You say it. This is episode six. That is right, ladies and gentlemen, episode six. With me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's cultural narrative is the one, the only... The brilliant documentary filmmaker, guerrilla journalist, rebel pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Thank you. And with my friend, Andrew Marcus, also brilliant, more brilliant than I. Far more. Documentary Far more brilliant. So brilliant, I'm not going to play an applause for myself because I've hit the button way too many times already. (laughs) Brilliantly. (laughs) I've... I learn. I have learned one or two things from Andrew Marcus in uh, my day. Vice versa, my friend. And I, <laughs> I have a feeling I'm in for an education today <laughs> because I know you have been on top of the J6 uh, events, the, the 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 videos that have come out. Tucker Carlson, elite journalist Tucker Carlson, with the scoop. And I think I think you probably have some thoughts, don't you? It is. It's an amazing propaganda week, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this was the big story of the week. It's hard to see now if they're shoveling it under the rug or if it's going to continue on. Um, but have you seen any of the of the footage? Anything? Do you know what's happening with this story? Uh, well, yes, I do. You know, and we talked about this on the last on the last show. Uh, there, there was a, a, a number of pieces of video that were very interesting. The first night made a lot of waves, 
And then the narrative kind of exploded. You had a lot of pushback against Tucker Carlson coming from the left, coming from the right. A lot of pressure on Fox News to to put the kibosh on Tucker Carlson and what he was presenting. And I did happen to notice that since that first night, I don't think we've really seen any new footage, have we? No, and I think that sums it up pretty well because I, I I looked I looked at a, a little bit of the coverage and I looked at a little bit of what Tucker was releasing and there wasn't I don't think there was much to it um, except that it does seem to be setting up for one of these dialectical attacks these situations that we find ourselves in where there's a binary where there's you know there's basically two narratives going on and we're we're sort of positioned to accept and operate within one of those binaries or the other and we have to figure out you know sort of what's going on and and what's the angle uh, that we're looking at here. So, Jeremy, hold on a second. See, you're, I knew it. You're gonna, you're raining on my parade. You're raining on everybody's parade. <laughs> People are excited about this footage. They're disappointed that there isn't more of it. And and uh, you're doing it again. <laughs> well, I'm gonna make the point. I'm going to make the point. And as I go through these clips, I think that 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 it becomes more evident what has really occurred here and it's we were duped again but let's listen um first i guess let's let's start off to just to set set the framing a little bit what do you think about tucker carlson uh, i don't watch a lot of tucker carlson because i i know that what you know people look to tucker they look to others as a place to uh, find redemption or salvation. And I don't believe that there is redemption or salvation to be found in a celebrity journalist. I am at peace with the fact that his number one priority is his program, his position, his ratings. So that colors everything I think about him. I don't have negative feelings about him personally, but I, I just, I, I'm tired of that genre i'm tired of being fed that that meal so i don't I've really watch a, i've had a lot of people uh tell me they like tucker lately and people especially love since him. he got his show and i think it's really probably saving fox news a little bit but i found this clip and it's something i had heard a long time ago and it comes from vox which is a left-wing vox, media does vox outlet. still exist I don't even know if it's still out there, but this video is, and it had the clip that I was looking for, and I think you need to hear it because it Tucker describes himself in his own words in it, and I think it's interesting. He wrote a whole book about how America's selfish ruling class is bringing the country to the brink of revolution. Division helps them maintain their power, even, it, even as it destroys our country. The Atlantic even called him the bow-tied bard of populism. The actual problem is the corrupt and decadent leadership of our own elites. The elites, liberal elites. It is sickening, and we've had enough of it. There's just one problem with Tucker's man of the people shtick. You're about the most unordinary person I know. You're an elitist. You're a 
No, no, no. I'm a t- but see, I'm an out-of-the-closet elitist. I don't run around pretending to be a man of the people. I'm actually <laughs> not a man of the people at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we need to insert his laugh right there. <laughs> I just... I heard that clip a while back, and I just sort of tuned it out, except it did always make me think, huh, I wonder what Tucker's deal is. Um, What was that from, where the person was calling him an elitist? That that I don't know. It it sounded like a radio interview somewhere that this guy clipped. I feel like I remember what this might have been, and I think it was... He had booked an interview with somebody, maybe it was an environmentalist or it was somebody, and Tucker was going to ridicule the guy, and the guy just turned it around on him, and it ended up blowing up and going viral. And this might have been a phone call that happened after. Yeah. Well, so here, there's a little bit more, and I think this just, again, this helps provide a little context, or perhaps just, you know, a way to let us put our shields up a little bit around this gigantic story that Tucker's breaking. Yeah. Tucker's full name is Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson. His stepmom is the heiress to the Swanson frozen food empire. He went to an elite boarding school in Rhode Island, got famous for wearing bow ties on national television, and has spent his professional career bouncing between cushy cable news jobs. By all measures, Tucker Carlson is a member of the American elite. Okay. I have I, I half agree with that. I sort of agree with this. Now this is a this was a hit piece on Tucker yeah. from the left. But that I, doesn't make it jobs, un, I think. That doesn't make it untrue. Right. And he goes on to sort of you know, bust a guy up a little bit where the guy is saying how Tucker's a trust fund baby and Tucker says, yeah, I'm a trust fund baby. I've never had to work. And he's it's he's being a little bit tongue in cheek with him, but probably to some extent, there might be some accuracy to that. But that doesn't I well, don't actually, think, we'll think about that for a second. It's actually flattering for Tucker, because if he hasn't had to work, but he has worked his whole life. He clearly has worked his whole life. That's actually yeah. that's not a that's not a that's not the no. And I think the, Tucker the, the, works the gotcha that they think no. it is. He works hard. There's no question. I mean, what he's doing, it's not an easy, cushy job. He he might have had some connections that helped him land that job. Absolutely, uh, but that doesn't mean he doesn't work hard. However, Tucker said in his own words there he's not a man of the people and i just that just sticks out in my mind a little bit people should of, keep that in their mind too you're absolutely right to to highlight that that's just a, that's to a set great the clip. stage because tucker now operates in this world where he's kind of this new breath of air to fox news of conservatism or you know, MAGA, where he presents himself as a big, you know, fan of of Donald Trump. And we're going to get into a little bit of that at the end of this section, Um, whether or not that's accurate. But let's go to some of the alternative coverage here of what Tucker did this week. I'll open up with ABC. At a Capitol Hill tonight, where Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was pressed repeatedly today about his decision to hand over 44,000 hours of video from January 6th to Fox. Overnight, selected pieces of that video were described as peaceful and respectful from January 6th. 
Tonight, the Capitol Police chief outraged, Republican senators angry too and speaking out. And it all comes after Speaker McCarthy himself said after January 6th that it was un-American, calling it, quote, the saddest day I've ever had serving as a member of this institution. Here's our chief Washington correspondent, Jonathan Carl, tonight. Tonight, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is facing questions after he gave Fox News access to some 44,000 hours of raw surveillance video from January 6th. Speaker McCarthy, why are you releasing those tapes to Fox, sir? On the 6th, the country and the world saw the violence unfold. Overnight, this is what they saw on Fox. They were peaceful, they were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists, they were sightseers. Despite all the images we saw that day, rioters smashing windows, beating police officers, and rummaging through the desks on the Senate floor, host Tucker Carlson showed selected clips with no context to claim Trump supporters who broke into the building were treating it with respect. They're not destroying the Capitol. They obviously revere the Capitol. Okay, so... And I, I looked at Tucker's coverage, and I feel like, you know, this is a fairly accurate summary of it, but they're establishing something here in my view, and that's, and Tucker's establishing something too, that's setting the narrative up that, and I've heard a lot of people talk about that this wasn't an insurrection, you know, that, and that everybody was set up. These he's saying, look at this footage. They're walking through peacefully and quietly, and they revere the Capitol. And we've seen this a million times now with left-wing demonstrations in the street and BLM and Antifa, where you know there's a lot of melee going on and rioting, and there is violence. And then they're always media is always highlighting the so-called what they they deem the non-violent nature yeah here i'll, I'll do the, i'll do it I'll, this is how they do it they say and now tonight from a mostly peaceful protest that uh that turned violent in the end confrontations with police <laughs> that's how they do it they start it always starts out peaceful and then it ends up with confrontations with police and they frame it to the police so why why is this happening now and why did mccarthy give this footage to Tucker. And I look at it really skeptically because we know that McCarthy is a man of the swamp. He's not a MAGA America first speaker of the house. And this was something that was promised in, in, and part of the negotiation with him getting votes to become speaker of the house, they're going to release all the footage. And as David Muir says in this past clip, we just played 40, some 44,000 hours of footage. And Tucker talks about that in one of his openings that, you know, a lot of those 44,000 hours, thousands of those hours are just empty rooms of security footage and they're completely irrelevant. But I think that part of that is by... By giving everything, okay, and Fox getting this stuff from McCarthy establishes a couple things or attempts to establish a couple things. McCarthy's living up to his promise 
He's delivering the goods. He's doing it with Fox News, which keeps the left-right paradigm intact. And those two binaries where the MSNBCs, the NBCs, the ABCs, all this other media has got one one binary where this was an insurrection, most dangerous day of the capital in history. And now the other side of it, the Fox is defending who's the real target of all of this anyway, is Trump and his supporters. Well, it definitely did them a favor for sure. Uh, I see what you're saying because, uh, you know, Fox has been on the wane ever since they helped steal the election in 2020. I know many people who are no longer paying attention to Fox. They're looking at other at alternatives. And this has really brought people back to Fox. This was a gift to Fox. In fact, much the same way Musk has brought everyone back to Twitter and essentially, you know, uh, uh, put a roadblock in front of all the other alternative communities that were developing because everybody fled and came back to Twitter like moths to the to the musk light. And I can see sort of the same thing must be happening now with Fox and in the same way they've given it a big shiny prize and everybody's turned to look. Right. And they had huge, Tucker had huge ratings for this, right? Now, I think part of that is preemptive because... If they have to end up, or if they ever do end up releasing all the footage to the public, which they may or may not, I doubt they would. But if they do, this has already muddied the waters now for whatever does come of that. Um, and so I that was the that was my first red flag. Is all of a sudden here's McCarthy. He's the knight in shining armor. He's delivering the goods. Fox is the hero again. They're on the right side. And all we get out of it is they marched through peacefully. Here's some more footage. Let let me know when you're ready for me to disagree with you. Do you disagree with that? I do disagree with that, but I want to wait. and I think I may want to wait to hear what else you've got going on. Maybe you'll change my mind. Here's some CNN coverage from uh, John King. Some January 6th facts to weigh alongside Tucker Carlson's new January 6th fantasy. The Justice Department says a thousand people are facing federal or local charges. Nearly one third of them are charged with assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers or Capitol employees that day. 140 police officers were assaulted when the pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol that day. Your eyes did not lie when you saw the windows smashed and the barriers breached. Your ears did not deceive you. Hang Mike Pence and find Nancy, were among the outrages we all heard chanted during the assault. But Tucker Carlson now is lying and deceiving his own loyal viewers. Speaker McCarthy, you remember, gave the Fox host exclusive access to thousands of hours of footage. We're going to begin tonight with footage that shows you what was actually happening inside the Capitol. The footage does not show an insurrection or a riot in progress. Instead, it shows police escorting protesters through the building. Now, remember, the man you just saw there helped Donald Trump lie that the 2020 election was stolen. He now wants you to believe the anger and the violence we all saw that day was the exception. Okay, so the other thing that happens now that all this 44,000 hours has been given over to Fox is it gives all the other media the opportunity to re-air all of the footage that everybody has seen 
all over again. So now there's narrative reinforcement going out to the left and to the viewers of the mainstream media. Yeah, but you're describing an impossible situation for anybody who wants to refute on any large platform the narrative about January 6th. Because, of course, the moment that they do that, the other side is going to is going to take that opportunity to replay all of that footage again. You're 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 creating, I think, an impossible standard. What do you do? Do you just never talk about it again? No, but I think what's evident is there are some questions I have that have gone unanswered now. Definitely, but how much of that might be due to the fact that it got shut down? It clearly, effectively... If you're right, then it wasn't shut down. It was always planned to only be one night, and the chaos is intentional. If you're incorrect, then they were shut down, and we'd have to speculate, well, what was coming next? Was What if what was coming next was that they were going to get into, well, who was really no, violent? That was a ne- that was ne- I don't believe that was ever coming. But why this do was- you believe that was never coming? I- I'm sitting here thinking, what if... What if what was coming next was, well, who is violent? Because then his claim that Trump supporters were more like tourists is accurate if their next, if what their next move would be to do to show it wasn't even Trump supporters who were violent in the first place. Because then that actually is completely accurate, what he said. I don't think so. He he addressed first of all, there were a lot of Trump supporters there that got swept up in it and that was stupid and unfortunate True. for many of them. Agreed, yes. Okay. If you go back and you look at the coverage from the mainstream media and all of those clips, there was a violent melee that day. Yes, but who got caught up is not as important as who instigated it. And if you have federal officials or people who are on the payroll of federal officials who are right in the front and are the ones smashing the windows, then in my mind, the people who got caught up, they are, yes, it's, it is bad what they did, but I'm not as concerned about them as I am the government who, who set it all up to begin with. Well, right. So Tucker got into that and he mentions at one point uh, how they had, suspected that many of the people were government agent provocateurs that were out there, but without knowing who they are, that's right. Fox did not air that footage because they don't want to insinuate that some of those people are government agent provocateurs. But one thing he's not talking about, which has come out now in several places, is the involvement of Ukraine and whether or not Ukrainians were there on the premise and working to bust the windows open inside and help to lead the insurrection. What? We talked about this a few weeks ago. There was a clip we played from one of the J6 prisoners, and he said that there were Ukrainians out there. And there's other evidence uh, on Twitter and around right now that there were Ukrainian agents that were out there. But here's how the mainstream is going to present that one. Actually, there's already narratives that they weren't Ukrainian. They were Russian. <laughs> <laughs> now, and by the way, I'm not discounting what you're saying. I'm just saying out no, there right. in the world, it will be considered a conspiracy theory. For sure. But when you look at all the stuff that's going on with Ukraine and how much we love Ukraine, 
did Ukraine assist in toppling our government? It's an, inter- it's an interesting question to ask. Meanwhile, we're back here looking at CNN, ABC, and Fox, and you got John King gets to call Tucker a liar. Tucker's a big liar. Now Tucker... 2020 election was a grave betrayal of American democracy. Given the facts that have since emerged about that election, no honest person can deny it. Yet the beneficiaries of that election continue to lie about what is now obvious. The real crime, they will tell you again and again, is not what happened on Election Day 2020. The real crime is what happened two months later on January 6th, when Donald Trump led an insurrection against the duly elected American government. We're living through- So here's my contention with that, is the real crime was all of it. Tucker here now is saying that this wasn't the crime. J6 wasn't the crime. These were innocent people going, uh, you know, through an excursion of the Capitol. There's nothing to see here. The real crime happened on January 20th. And my contention is it's all connected. What happened on January 20th is connected to what happened on January 6th. There is something to see here. But you're still not seeing it. You're still not getting to the bottom of it, even with the 44,000 hours of footage that gets released. So I, and that I 100% agree with you on. They are connected. And you're right that Tucker doesn't frame it that way. But can he? What would happen if he framed it that way for, for his national audience? I don't know that, I'm not sure that it would fly. Like, I think then the narrative would, would literally be you're just a conspiracy theorist. Maybe it would, you know, and I guess I see what he, I see what he released on the first night in a slightly different light because, um, if you think about it prior to his release on that first night, people had one idea of the January 6th shaman. And then on the, 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 the night after he released it, they had a very different take on the one six shaman. Clearly, the narrative that was constructed about this guy was completely fraudulent. And I'm, I think that Tucker Carlson did a pretty good job of exposing that. And it's going to be pretty difficult for the left to, to move away from that. They're, they're connected to it. The problem, I think, and you're talking about Jacob Chansley or Jacob Angeli, I guess is his real name. He was the gentleman with the American flag. Uh, painted on his face and uh, had the and the Viking, the Viking horns yep. and the otter pelts or whatever he was wearing. Right, rotting in jail for four years. Okay, so here's I got a clip on that. The Capitol Police never stopped Jacob Chansley. They helped him. They acted as his tour guides. We counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Uh, that is Tucker Carlson's take. Capitol Police have testified, many of them said they were just grossly outnumbered and they were not going to pick and choose who they were going to have confrontations with. But there's also other video of uh, the shaman, uh, Mr. Chansley, uh, going through the Capitol. You see him there as part of the initial breach. Then you see him later in the Senate chamber. 
uh, where he's up on the dais as if he's a member of the United States Senate. He is serving a 41-month sentence. He was one of the first rioters in the building. He asked Trump for a pardon. Tourists don't ask for pardons, I don't think. Uh, he was on the, left a note on the Senate dais saying it's only a matter of time. Justice is coming. And he yelled as he went through the Capitol, Mike Pence is an effing traitor. Well, I think Mike Pence probably is. But I, I kind of find this interesting, too. Everybody's zeroing in on Jacob Chansley. Jacob Chansley was down in Arizona out at protests. He started to become a face that was very recognizable to everybody before all this happened. And then when this happens, here he is again. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jacob Chansley is part of some master conspiracy, but what I am suggesting is that Jacob Chansley is getting a lot of attention and a lot is he the of attention shiny object is that what you're and saying? a lot of right and a lot of attention is going to Jacob Chansley right now when there are many people who are supposedly being locked up in horrible conditions and treating being treated very very terribly in in prison right now having their rights denied uh, their constitutional rights denied that and yeah, but and that's what happened here, to him. He was he ended up pleading guilty before with before they had even turned over discovery. He my, was he was railroaded. My point is you, what you just said. Four years for walking object. into a building. I mean, that's but it's There's, a pretty shiny object. I mean, it's a big piece of injustice that has come out of this. That the video is, but shows. While we're look, but while we're looking at him, we're not looking at... All, look at the coverage that Gateway Pundit has had of all of these prisoners and the conditions that they're in. Yes. For the last couple of years, two years now, where have you seen that on Fox News? I understand that, but doesn't that also... Doesn't his story help amplify that narrative? I think it brings attention think... to the entire issue that there are people in prison right now uh, as political prisoners who were duped by the state. I well, I didn't hear that in any of these reports, and I think that I don't think it does. I think what happens is it allows both binaries. You have MSNBCs, CNNs are talking about Jacob Chansley and Tucker Carlson's talking about Jacob Chansley and ne neither of them are talking about what's going on in the J6 prison right now. And and nothing's going to come of uh Jacob Chansley's case. He's going to sit in jail for 4 years. That's not yeah, going to change. Yeah, this isn't going to get him out. That's not going to change. Um well that's so, again where I say this is, you know, at the end of the day, this is about Tucker's ratings. What let me ask you a question. What is there any possibility he got in there and started looking at the footage and realized there's no major there there? And so he's just is anything he can to just make it a sensational thing so that he gets no the question. Ratings? There's no question that's a possibility. There's no question it's possible that Tucker Carlson has come up with the best story he thinks he could come up with but then again i go back to that first clip i opened with tucker saying he's not a man of the people <laughs> so i have some skepticism uh, that we're not looking at smoke and mirrors with 
Fox is going to shut Tucker down. Fox is getting pressure. Now Tucker's getting pressure to shut down, and they're not going to let him report the story. Just Just as much as I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he picked the best you know, most deserving rating stories he could find. Uh, I also am not going to doubt that it's highly possible that he craft, he was a willing participant in crafting this narrative that's doomed to fail. He and looks that's so doomed. bad though. He looks terrible right now because maybe people don't realize it yet. He's a millionaire. Yeah, I understand that. Matter. But no, I, I, that may be then he truly is the most cynical man in media because his reputation looks terrible. He looks like he was shut down. And on top of that, he looks like he's not even talking about the fact that he was shut down. So he looks like an absolute coward in the face of being shut down by Fox. So regardless of whether or not that was in the plans from the beginning, he looks terrible now because of this. Then he earns the sympathy of the America First citizen who says, Fox. Oh, oh, I've lost respect for him. Oh, I've lost respect, more respect for him because of this. He hasn't earned any sympathy for me. He looks weak and. And and cowed. So now, going back to the mainstream media coverage, you had the same gaggle of reporters circling around Republican senators so they could also hammer home the same narrative. I think it's bull****. There were a lot of people uh, in the Capitol at the time who uh, I think were scared for their lives. So you can, you know, however you want to describe it, but it was uh, it was an attack on the Capitol. When you come into the chambers, when you start opening members' desks, when you stand up in their balcony, to, to somehow put that in the same category as a, you know, permitted peaceful protest is, um, is just a lie. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks. I think it's bull****. When you see police barricades breached, when you see police officers assaulted, all of that, or you had to be in close proximity to it, if you were just a tourist, you should have probably lined up at the visitor center and came in on an orderly basis. So I, I just don't think it's helpful. It's really sad to see Tucker Carlson uh, go off the rails that bad. Uh, the American people saw what happened on January 6th. They've seen uh, the, the people that got injured. They saw the damage to the building. Uh, you, you, you can't hide the truth uh, uh, by selectively picking a few minutes out of tapes and series of what went on. So, so I get what you're saying. He teed them up perfectly to have this narrative uh, when all he had to do was frame it a little bit differently and he would have hedged against that. I think the whole thing was teed up as a demoralization campaign to demoralize the America First MAGA voter. Okay, first of all, they're overwhelmed with the amount of footage that was released there was so much given to tucker i don't know how they could even go through all of that footage if they can um but i want to we'll know whether or not you're right if if the rest of this footage gets released to other people you remember uh on the last show my prediction was that what mccarthy was doing what they were doing was creating the circumstances by which everyone was going to demand that footage and so then it wouldn't be about his release of it it would be just out there for everybody 
So I, I feel like if that still happens, you know, then maybe the motive is to get it out there. If it doesn't happen, I think that proves you correct, sir. I'm going to read. Uh, and then hurry, because we got we to move on. This is a long segment, my man. All right. It is entirely possible that the true and authentic reality is being drowned out by countless superficial information bits, noisily and breathlessly presented in propaganda fashion. Consequently, one may be entirely knowledgeable about a thousand details and nevertheless, because of ignorance regarding the core of the matter, remain without basic insight. Okay, this is from Joseph Piper, abuse of language and abuse of power. And I think that's what we're looking at here, where there's so much coming out and people can't make sense of it. And it's part of a demoralization campaign where this was a big golden goose that comes out and nothing is going to come of it. And now it's been timed as an election story where it goes back to the Trump of 2020 election and his claims that it was a you know fraudulent election and all of Fox News was going along with it and now they're pivoting to the attack against by releasing texts now that Tucker Carlson had text messages that said he uh, hates Trump and he can't believe that this is the stories that Trump is telling he can't wait for him to go away. This is what leaked out. It's a quick clip here. And now we're learning that even though Tucker Carlson promoted Donald Trump's false claims that the election had been stolen, Carlson didn't even like him. According to just released court today. papers after the election, Carlson texted a colleague. We are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. I hate him. Okay, now this... I like I how they added that, the texting sound effect there. That was a good touch. Right. I believe that this is all part of this effort right here, and it's all connected with everything that's going on. It's meant to show Tucker can't be credible to the left's binary, and to the right, it causes confusion. Like, well, what's his deal? Okay, and it reinforces the narrative now that... Even Fox knows that there was no election fraud. They were just going along with it for entertainment value or whatever. Rupert Murdoch said Hannity and Laura Ingram, you know, pushed it a little too far. So they're negating with this story the fact that the results of the election were not legitimate. Maybe this is how they just move on from the entire subject altogether. Maybe that's what the setup is. You have this, what is now a narrative dead end, and it just goes away. And okay. neither side has to deal with it anymore. Then I'm going to end this with one last point from Stephen Coughlin from Unconstrained Analytics. And he would say that if this is the case, that these two binaries are used to dialectically negate each other, this causes me to ponder the GOPE Lincoln Project activities in terms of possible dialectical negation campaign possibly pivoting off or expanding on January 6th. So what you just said, completely possible that either it's going to blow up into something bigger or something different, or 
This could be being used to make it go away and pivot into something completely different, in which case it still leaves everybody seeking justice from that day without a solution and demoralized. Right, we're in a, we're in a narrative quagmire now. I right. hate it when you are right, Jeremy. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> That's also me. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, like wait no, the first one was me. The second one was our audience. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right. Well, we'll see. We will see. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, in which case it's, it is almost, uh, it is seeding the ground narratively for the election, uh, election 24. It, it, it's clearing the decks for election 24 so that we can get new narrative in. Right, and it's part of the anti-Trump campaign. This is part of smearing him. It's part of smearing the people that, you know, are going to now go out and say it was a non-violent. And there are people who are going to say there was no violence, there was no insurrection. I think there was an insurrection. I think there was a I think there was some kind of government effort with foreign actors with all sorts of people who were involved. Right, by the establishment and staged a coup in this country and overthrew the government. And this was all part of it. Oh, see, I think it was overthrown long before that. (laughs) Jeremy, it was was overthrown when Obama got reelected. That was the moment we all should have known that the the rat was in the kitchen. Certainly that's a potential. but, But I believe they're all connected events. And that's what we're looking at here. And so to go around and say there was no insurrection that day I think is inaccurate. Uh, well, I, I, I think it's enough for everyone to absorb that that uh, we may have all just been bamboozled by the entire release of January 6th footage. I think we were. <sighs> well, let's go on to other election news then. I have I have a very brief update. My, my election 24 update is very brief. Uh, do you know who Ken Griffin is, the founder of Citadel, the the hedge fund, billion billion multi billion dollar hedge fund? Big Obama guy, isn't he? A big Obama supporter. He was. They their headquarters was in Chicago, and in the last couple of years, they have moved. They fled Illinois for Florida, and uh, uh, Ken Griffin was on Bloomberg TV with Miami bureau chief Philippe Marquez. No relation. And uh, they were talking about J.B. Pritzker and DeSantis. And it's, it's actually very interesting, the battle brewing up between Pritzker and DeSantis, which actually may be a battle between Pritzker and Ken Griffin, because Pritzker hates Ken Griffin. They hate each other. Uh, Ken uh, supported Pritzker's uh, uh, competitor in, in the uh, re-election campaign. So... Um, there's no love lost between the two of them, and he supported the Republican or or another Democrat. He supported, I think he supported another Democrat. He's the, Ken's a, Ken is a lefty. I mean, there aren't real real Republicans, I guess. Right, there is no Republican running <laughs> running for anything in Illinois. Uh, so, um, but but what what they were talking about with Pritzker and people uh, may may or may not have caught this. It's a, you know more of an Illinois story. Uh, Ron DeSantis came to Illinois, and J.B. Pritzker made a 
big stink about Ron DeSantis. And it struck me as very weird that he would be so vocal about attacking him for even just coming to the state. He was telling people that he shouldn't be able to come to the state. That's the governor saying another governor shouldn't be able to come to Illinois, shouldn't shouldn't bring his hate, shouldn't have a speaking engagement, uh, and that everyone should boycott it. And I thought to myself, well, is Pritzker running? Is that what he's doing? Is he Or is he an attack dog for somebody else who's running? I didn't know exactly what was going on, but this actually, I think, filled it out a little bit. Uh, here's, again, Bloomberg TV. We interviewed J.P. Pritzker at Bloomberg recently, and he said, and I'm quoting here, he was willing to spend whatever it takes to keep Republicans, namely Ron DeSantis, out of the White House. Are you willing to spend whatever it takes to get him elected? <laughs> Well, I would spend whatever it takes to make sure that J.B. Pritzker's never in the White House. (laughs) I love it when the left has uh, interesting warfare. (laughs) This is is blue-on-blue violence right here, ladies and gentlemen. But in Illinois, there's 53 schools without a single child at grade level. That's where J.B. Pritzker's policies lead you to. It breaks my heart. So I will, I will absolutely spend whatever it takes to make sure he's never president. So there is definitely a battle between them. And uh, Ken Griffin is a, is a big supporter uh, of Ron DeSantis. So what, if it's, what if it's Trump versus Pritzker? <laughs> the battle of the billionaires. What's he going to do then? What are they going to do? Because the the whole narrative that they tried out on Trump was that uh, was that Trump was obese and had small hands, and then now along comes the Zeppelin of, <laughs> of politics, and he's you know very large and has small hands. They're they're going to have a little problem on their hands. So now they talk about uh, DeSantis. So the American voters, I think, will see what opportunity looks like when they look at the state of Florida in two years. They'll make a decision. And I think that the results in the state speak for themselves. Do you think Ron should run? I'd, I would love to see him run. That's some tepid applause. And then- I was very surprised by that tepid, that tepid applause. It's interesting because it's like if he, he makes this bold proclamation that he'll spend whatever he can spend to prevent Pritzker from winning or getting in the White right. House, that positions him, you know, in, in that's going to position him positively with people who are anti-Pritzker or anti-Democrat or anti-left, right? And then to come and say, and yeah, I do think uh, DeSantis should run or I'd love to see DeSantis run um it's it's coalescing then it's trying to coalesce more uh probably moderate or establishment republican energy and independent democrat energy around DeSantis. See, this is why I go back again to my theory that the establishment on the right is is the group that has encouraged the most uh, the woke 
revolution in this country because they're the ones who are who are the most able to then swoop in and leverage anti-wokeness for their mainstream establishment guy in this case DeSantis could be possible um well anyway that's that is that's all I had I thought I thought it was very interesting because it, it is Pritzker is Pritzker running, or was that just a clever line by Ken Griffin? Let's not answer that now. I don't think <laughs> but, he. I don't think Pritzker's running. I don't think he's that popular. I think everybody knows Illinois is kind of a laughing stock of uh, the country right now, and one of the armpits of America. And that doesn't just, stop you know, Gavin Newsom. He's in the other armpit, and he he seems to want to run. It's different. You got California. You got a lot of votes coming out of California. He would probably win California. And he's a different, he's a more attractive looking guy. And we know people vote that way. We know people vote for candidates based on their looks. And California, as bad as it is, I would bet people's, if you just went and asked people outright, you know, where would you rather live, California or Illinois? California wins just because of the weather. Well, I think that uh, now is then a very good time to exit out of our election update because that's depressing. (laughs) (laughs) The idea that uh, Gavin Newsom could actually make a run. (laughs) I think they have to. I don't want to think about that. I think they have to bring somebody bigger in. Uh, well, that's J.B. Pritzker. <laughs> not not physically bigger, maybe physically taller. Like uh, I, Oh, like you know, Michelle wonder, Obama. Yeah, like a Michelle Obama, possibly. I did listen to her podcast, The Light, uh, that came out this week. Ooh, that's and your sacrifice for me. Yeah, I, I was going to clip some things for the show. It really wasn't all that interesting. Basically, what was interesting about it was that she didn't talk about any politics at all in fact most of the whole episode it opens with her narrating and introducing one of her book tour stops and she's interviewed uh, by hoda hoda someone from the Today are you about show. to play a clip of her i'm not going to but okay. what i'm going to say is what she talked about all she talked about was being a mom life experiences basically the it was a humanizing very humanizing type podcast where she didn't talk about any policy nothing about politics she's a mom and she's a husband and what it was like for her and barack to be at the girls basketball game she's kamala is gone before 24 she's going to be the vice president to me this was indicative that she's running yes or she's somehow getting more she's coming involved. in she's coming in kamala and, pack your bags baby and some of the clips we played last week the leon panetta and the people who are talking and even you know this is this was open comms look at it panetta all those clips we played last week talking about the possibility of trump getting back in the white house and it was then, this week it was tuesday it was this week. It just feels like Sorry. a long time ago. It just feels like a week ago. And what did I see? And I don't have the clip again. Two days ago, Joe Biden said it himself. Joe Biden said Trump might be president again. Yes, they're preparing people for that. That's absolutely true. So they're doing two things. They're preparing people for it. And they're also preparing people for we need something bigger 
than what we have. And that's something bigger. I think that's all they got is Michelle. I don't think they have anything else up their sleeve. And I'm not sure she could beat him either. I'm not sure she would actually run and risk losing to him. I think that would really crush them for a long time. Um, well, here, but, let me, let's say this. If Michelle Obama ends up running or ends up, as I say, in the vice presidential seat before the election, just remember that you heard it here first, and it was our analysis, our expertise that brought it to you. And and while we're on that subject... That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for us to beg. I don't know how you feel about begging, Jeremy. I'm not going to beg. <laughs> well, okay, here it's time for us to plead. <laughs> no, it is time for us to tell our listeners, our producers, how this show works and how we do this. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't accept any corporate sponsors here on the Truth Bait Podcast. If we did, we would not be able to say things like Trump won the 2020 election. It was stolen. You wouldn't be able to hear analysis like what Jeremy brought to the table today, that, that there has been an insurrection and January 6th was as much a part of it as Election Day. And Fox is in on it. And Fox is in on it. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what we at the Truth Bait Podcast are bringing you, hopefully you feel, in terms of value. And the way this works, it's called the value for value market, uh, value for value uh, model. If you believe that what we are bringing is of value to you, then we ask for you to return the value in, in any number of ways, time, talent, or treasure. Uh, we we ask our listeners, who we call our producers, we ask you to be active listeners. We want you to take part in this in this program. Uh, you have the ability to recommend stories, recommend segments, send us tips. What you want to hear, we are going to bring you. In the last episode, we had a listener, uh, a producer, Bev in Florida, who very much wanted to hear about uh, the, the death threats that Iran had made against Donald Trump and members of the administration, and nobody had been paying attention to it. And because she reached out to us at truth at truthbait.com, we responded because that is what we do for our producers that makes you an active an active listener a producer and that is what we're talking about we want you to interact with us and let us know what you want time talent or treasure hey listen are you an artist we need thumbnails for our episodes uh, maybe you can do album art for us. We have a a brilliant producer who's already helping us, but uh, uh, you know this is something that people are doing. They're donating their time, and we need that kind of help. And website, of we need website help. That's we right. We got to get a website going. We got to be able to put uh, the shows on the website and have show notes so that, that people, so somebody can, you know help with that. Possibly, we want to build a, you know, we want a community effort. Something that uh, people want to participate in, you know, because we don't agree on everything, but we're like-minded in a way that, uh, you know, our guard is up to the to the media uh, propaganda that that we're confronted with. Our guard is up to the attack on our culture, and we, you know, our guard is up because our 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 country and our way of life is being 
threatened by tyrants. So, uh, yeah, the answer you know, is not going to come from a Tucker Carlson. The answer is not going to even come from a Donald Trump. The, the answer is going to come from all of us coming together as community, as individuals. It is going to be that strength through numbers. And that is going to be how we're going to be able to prevent them from shutting us down one day. When this podcast has numbers that are drawing real attention, they will look to deplatform us as they look to deplatform anybody who has an alternative perspective that has people paying attention and building the community and building redundancy in that community and it not just being a one-way relationship, it being a two-way relationship that you're really invested in and you're a part of, that is going to prevent them from ever being able to deplatform this podcast and your voice. That being said, I got an email from Pfizer. <laughs> oh, you don't say. <laughs> it says, uh, "It says, uh, Dear Andrew and Jeremy, your podcast is really well produced. I'm listening. We are, we are interested in participating. If you, we have sponsorship opportunities available." You can run our ads. We only ask that you do not talk about uh, Pfizer, the vaccine, in any negative ways, and you don't talk about James O'Keefe any longer. Listen, I think and I gotta tell to, you, yeah, it's tempting. Pfizer should be looked at maybe as a citizen, a good corporate citizen, <laughs> and maybe we could make them a citizen sponsor. <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't that tempting? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not going to happen. That's just no, not it's really going not to happen. tempting. It's really not tempting. Um, Freedom but. of speech is much more tempting. And but that's uh, why it's going we need a community of support and we need a, a community that we can support and that is what we're trying to build here. We want people to participate, have fun with it find stories that's a big thing if you can help uh you know find stories that you think are interesting if you see somebody that has uh you know hypocrisy glaring in their news report or you find two really uh competing uh narratives that you think are entrapping us into a, a dialectical attack any of the things that you learn you know from the stuff that we look at do you find something that that you think uh, the rest of the people listening would enjoy? Because you're like-minded with those people, then please send it to us. And most importantly, keep sharing the show. People have been sharing it. Um, that's the best way to grow the community. Um, don't and we just, don't even have a mechanism for people to give money yet. So that really is the number one way that you can return value to this podcast is to share the show. Hashtag share the show. I will say it one more time because you have to say these things in threes. Share the show. Yeah. If you have a hundred friends, you know, email addresses, send it to them. But, but really like it's more if you know a friend that you think would like this, then tell them about it because we don't need everybody to listen to the show. We need people who are going to be interested and going to be connecting with us in a way that makes them want to participate in it. We, we, we really need to try to build this around people who can see what we're trying to do. And I'll leave and, it at that. Well, and we will be, uh, hopefully by episode 10, we will have a mechanism in place by which to accept 
credit card donations, uh, analog donations by check uh, via mail. Um, so hopefully we will have that up and running and people will be able to also contribute financially because some people, they don't have time to surf the web. They're, that's what they're re relying on us to do to go find all this material and analyze it for them. Some people, they've got their own lives. They're just looking to listen to what we are saying and, and, and get, gain a new perspective. And the way that they can be active and contribute is financially. And that is fantastic as well. So uh, we will make that uh, available, hopefully in the very near future. But let's, we should move on to more of the value that we can bring. Uh, and boy, I paid the price, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I have paid the price. I have sacrificed for you and for the listeners by sitting through a two-hour and 45-minute hearing. And by the way, when I do this, I want you to understand, I don't. it's not just two hours and 45 minutes. The hearing is two hours and 45 minutes. I watch it through before I clip anything because I feel like I need to know the entirety of what occurs before I can really know what is important to clip. And so I go through the 245, then I go back, and now I'm going through, frankly, even slower because I have to go through and pull clips. It takes time. Um, needless to say, I have spent hours, hours and hours inside the House Oversight Subcommittee investigating the origins of COVID-19. And yeah, that was on Wednesday. They held their first hearing. And it was actually a, a, an impressive panel of witnesses. You had Dr. Robert Redfield, uh, former uh, director of the CDC. Dr. Jamie Metzel, who is a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Jeremy, the Atlantic Council, is that that's a left-leaning outfit? Yeah, I think it's a bunch of Atlanticists. He uh, he is uh, the so yeah the, these were these were the witnesses for the majority for the Republicans. You had Redfield, you had Metzel from the Atlantic Council, you have uh, Nicholas Wade, who is the former science and health editor of the New York Times and the former editor of Science Magazine and the former editor of Nature Magazine. And the last witness was Dr. Paul Allwater, who is a uh, MD at Johns Hopkins. And for people who are unfamiliar with Johns Hopkins, really unfamiliar with Johns Hopkins, Johns Hopkins was the first Western institution to really plant its flag in China when Nixon opened China, when Nixon and uh, when the United States and China opened up to each other uh, during Nixon. I have a connection to Hopkins. You do? My wife went to Johns Hopkins. So your wife is... Always knew there part was of the conspiracy. Or, <laughs> well, they are very, very deeply connected to China on a on an institutional level. Like I said, they were one of the first institutions to plant their flag there. They have an enormous presence there and have a lot at stake in China. Um, but I was, I have to say, I was very impressed with their no nonsense attitude about getting to the bottom of this issue, no matter where it leads. And the committee began with questions for Nicholas Wade, again, former science and health editor for the New York Times and author of the book, A Troublesome Inheritance. Mr. Nicholas Wade's 2014 book, A Troublesome Inheritance, suggests that different racial and ethnic groups have evolved to possess genetic variations in traits and behaviors tied to whether they prosper or not. 
this was a determinedly non-racist book. It has no scientific errors that I'm aware of. It has no racist statements. And it stresses the, the, the theme of unity that we are all variations on the same uh, human genome. My book was uh, vigorously attacked by obscurantist academics who want everyone else to believe that there is no biological basis uh, to race. And my book was as welcome to them as uh, pictures of the Earth from space are to flat earthers. In May of 2014, David Duke, former Grand Wizard of the Kluz Klux Klan, hosted a radio show praising Mr. Wade and his book, A Troublesome Inheritance. Mr. Wade, are you aware of David Duke's praise of your views on his website? Uh, and Mr. Wade, let me just say this personally. For a race of people who have suffered, endured, and survived three centuries of slavery, oppression, deprivation, degradation, denial, and disprivilege, I'm absolutely offended that you would have the opportunity to take this platform and to add anything of significance to it. I just want to remind everybody we're listening to the House Oversight Subcommittee investigating the origins of COVID-19. Now back to the uh, subcommittee. Sorry to <laughs> wow. Mr. Fusi did not like my book. I'm not a racist. I don't have anything in common with the views of white supremacists. Just because They love you, though. It, Chairman's it seems a not very good argument that David Duke likes my book. He maybe likes many things. That doesn't mean to say they're all wrong. Dr. Redfield, as a former CDC director, do these views trouble you? I'm not a fan of uh, uh, David Duke at all. I, I do think that Nicholas Wade, and I've followed his work over 30 years, is an outstanding science reporter and has contributed substantially, both in nature science and, of course, leading the New York Times. You know, there are 140 faculty members and experts who disagree, strongly disagree with you. As an Asian American woman representing an ethnically diverse district that would find offense with Mr. Wade's work and conclusions in regards to race, I ask that the letter to the editor, signed by more than 100 geneticists and biologists opposing the use of their research in Mr. Wade's book, be entered officially into the record. This speaks to his professional credibility and calls into question his very presence on this panel. As well, there's a, a nice story about Einstein that someone told him that 100 scientists had written a book saying he was wrong, and he replied, well, if I were wrong, one would have been enough. Ladies and gentlemen, you're still listening to the House Oversight Subcommittee investigating the origins of COVID-19, and now back to the racism. That's how science works, not on the number of people against it, it works on facts. The point is, inviting someone with discredited and dangerous views like Mr. Ways to testify on the origins of this pandemic which has disproportionately harmed communities of color, is not responsible and credible oversight. I have nothing to be ashamed of in my book. It's the only place you can now read about what the genome says about human races, and I hope that Mr. Ruiz, if he reads it, will be pleasantly surprised to find that it says none of the things he says it said. Mr. Wade is here. Uh, as he was the editor of Nature magazine and Science magazine, Nature magazine is the magazine, not while he was there, but is the magazine that produced and printed Proximal Origins. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you follow the science. Okay. I wonder if David Duke likes ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Our president like ice, likes ice cream. I like ice cream. Uh, David Duke supports our president. He likes I, ice cream. He's always eating it. 
I hope David Duke doesn't like grilled cheese. <laughs> Why, you like grilled cheese too? I like grilled cheese, and I don't want to be a KKK Nazi for it. Do you, When you eat your grilled cheese, do you do it while wearing a sheet or a hood? No. Do you eat grilled cheese while burning a cross? No. <laughs> you had to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they I don't know if you caught, they did at the very end, they came around to a little bit of something useful. I'll play I'll just play the very, very tip end of that again, just see if you can catch a magazine that produced and printed Proximal Origins. So he was an editor. Uh, he was the editor of the magazine that produced this uh, that printed this uh, Proximal Origins article. Uh, which was the basis for the establishment dismissing uh, every lab leak uh, assertion as nothing but conspiracy. This paper was uh, produced by uh, a number of scientists connected to to Dr. Fauci, to uh, uh, Dr. Collins, who was also uh, who, who I believe was he was uh, running the wasn't he running the Eco Health Alliance, who had the who had the uh, the grant that was uh, doing work at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, so, uh, but here's the issue with this: he wasn't he wasn't the editor when the Proximal Origins article was was published. So, I I struggle with well, what is this guy really doing there? You know, could they not have? If he was the editor when they published this article, then I could see where you'd want his opinion on that because he published the article that was used as the front to destroy any uh, any voice that was an alternative to it being uh, from bat soup. So who brought him in? Well, he was uh, he was brought in by the <laughs> by the Republicans. And I feel like he was brought in as like one of the giant shiny objects. I think that all of these, when you have a hearing like this, both sides, they are in on it together. They know that there are the shiny objects that are that are part of the uh, hearing that are going to be what is the red meat that everyone's going to pick up and talk about. And then they have the work that they're actually doing. And they use the shiny objects to keep people from really looking at the work that they're actually doing. And usually it's where they agree. But uh, so did they discover the origins of COVID? Yeah, well, <laughs> they're 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 getting there. There there's the origins of COVID, and then there's, but there's also the origins of the cover up. So a major focus of the hearing, other than racism, was on the events surrounding the publication of Proximal Origin, and you see in early 2020. When the news of the pandemic was beginning to break around the world, people close to the NIAID, which is the, what is that? I'm going to mess it up, uh, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, right? Uh, whose director is Anthony Fauci. They began to urgently warn Fauci that the virus really looked like it was man-made. So that was, that was the first uh, communication he was beginning to receive from scientists out in in the real world who were connected to him. Well, Anthony Fauci, knowing that his National Institutes of Health was funding the grant that paid for the research that led to the creation of the virus, 
he and others began to work uh, uh, to develop a process to discredit and destroy anyone who supported the lab leak theory. And that is what the proximal origin was. Uh, the way that it's set up is, you know, within, within days, the very same scientists who had been warning him all of a sudden flipped on a dime. They turned on a dime. And they were no longer saying that it looked like it was man-made. It was absolutely uh, zoonautical. And anybody who uh, thought that it was man-made was a conspiracy theorist. Uh, Here, uh, Jim Jordan uh, talks with uh, Robert Redfield about how that all unfolded and the time frame of it. Dr. Redfield, you were you were, uh, you you ran the CDC and you were on the Coronavirus Task Force. Is that right? Correct. That was formed on January 29th, 2020. Is that right? Correct. Two days later, Dr. Fauci gets an email from Dr. Anderson, which says what? Virus looks engineered. Virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. Is that accurate? That's my understanding. From Next day, I know. He, did he share that email with you, by the way, Dr. Redfield? No. As a member of the task force, as a head of CDC, did he share that email with you? No. Okay. Next day, February. By the way, this is the kind of energy I want you to bring to the podcast, Jeremy. <laughs> Jim Jordan knows take- how to deliver the energy, man. Yeah, I need to go to his school of energy. CDC, did he share that email with you? No. Okay. Next day, February 1st, Dr. Gary sends Dr. Fauci another email. That email says, I don't know how this happens in nature, but it would be easy to do in a lab. So that's where they're initially saying this definitely, this was made in a lab. This, we don't see how it could be from nature. Did he share that email with you, Dr. Redfield? No. You no. didn't see either one of those emails, even though you're head of CDC, even though you're on the coronavirus task force that had been formed just two days, three days earlier. No. Three days later, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, who told us it came from a lab and emails to Dr. Fauci that Dr. Fauci wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see, three days later, they changed their position 180 degrees. The question is why? Well, if you're looking at the timeline on um, May 21st. And this is uh, Mr. Wade again, and I think we're about to understand why they felt it was so necessary to attack this gentleman because what he had to say was not helpful for them. Well, if you're looking at the timeline on um, May 21st, um, just uh, a few weeks after the Nature, Med- uh, the, the Nature Medicine article had come out, uh, two of the signatories of the original email to uh, Dr. Fauci, that, that's Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, were awarded a $9 million grant for the... So there's $9 million reasons why they changed their mind. I knew you'd get to it. I read that last night. Three months after, so three days after they say it came from a lab, they changed their position and the only intervening events, a conference call with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, again, a call that Mr. Redfield was not allowed to be on, the head of CDC and on the coronavirus task force. And then three months later, shazam, they get nine million bucks from Dr. Fauci. Well, isn't that something? Isn't that something? That's why we want to talk to these guys. That's why Chairman Winstrup wants to bring in Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary and ask them a series of questions so we can get to the bottom of this. $9 million to sell out all of humanity, Jeremy. Well, I think before anybody determines whether that makes them suspicious, we should have everybody vote on it and just decide that way. Wouldn't that be a way to do the science? You could have same-day registration. Yeah. $9 million. Uh, by the way, that's inflation-adjusted. Uh, forty. That's 40 pieces of silver uh, in today's <laughs> dollars. 
I mean, so what's gonna come of all? What's gonna come of these hearings when they get to the bottom of it? Nothing. And did you catch? <laughs> did you did you catch the that that the head of the CDC was iced out by Anthony Fauci? They yeah, iced see, out in the in the heat of 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 this pandemic unfolding, where where nobody really knew what was going on and people were were struggling to to understand it. These guys ice out the director of the Center for Disease Control. Disease creation, I thought. I thought it was <laughs> well, the Center for Disease Creation. You hope to control what you create. So I, you know, I mean, can you imagine why they iced him out? It might have something to do with this. Uh, I didn't know I was excluded. I didn't know there was a February 1st conference call until the Freedom of Information came out with the emails, and I was quite upset as the CDC director that I was exclu excluded from those discussions. Oh, oh, why would they do this? Because I had a different point of view, and I was told they made a decision that they would keep this confidential until they came up with a single narrative. I felt it was um, not scientifically plausible that this virus went from a bat to humans and became one of the most infectious viruses that we have with humans. All viruses are not the same. So when you look at coronaviruses with, for SARS and MERS, for example, when they entered the human species, which they did via an intermediate, they never learned how to go human to human. Even to this day, they don't know how to go human to human. I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. Do you think that the paper does hide the truth? I think it's an inaccurate paper that basically was part of a narrative that they were creating. Remember, this pandemic did not start in January at the seafood market. We now know there was infections all the way back into September. This was a narrative that was decided that they were going to say this came from the wet market and they were going to do everything they could to support it to negate any discussion about the possibility that this came from. I, I don't know why there's that glitch where it cut off the end of some of my clips. It seems to have happened to a few of them, and I have no idea why that happened. Uh, but I think you get the gist. Let me just play this yeah, one okay. one more time. This one this this one really jumped out at me. I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did, not, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. That's the one that got me. DOD. The, the very end of that. State Department, too. And Department of Defense. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you want to know what's amazing about all of this, Jeremy? Uh, I'll tell you what's amazing about all of it. The J6 protests were entirely peaceful. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the distraction of the week. Well, see, I I wondered that, but but... So much of this is just a distraction inside of a distraction. I'm not sure. I don't know how to. I don't know how to qualify it. I, I did wonder that though, if if everything for the J6 was really just to distract you from from this. But here's the problem with that, Jeremy. None of this is new. None of this so, is a new revelation. Well, then that's just like the J6 right? story, right? Because this that's is, what I was saying about that. Like, we yes. haven't learned anything from it. Jeremy, There's this is over a year old. 
Right. On Gateway Pundit, January 24, 2022, recently FOIAed emails from February 2020 reveal that Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins, Peter Daszak, and Jeremy Farrar, and others involved in gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab conspired to quash any investigation into their tr- into the true origins of the COVID-19 outbreak and their culpability. He had the whole story a year ago! What's so going whole, on? So it's a whole nother operation to create this dialectical negation and these binary uh narratives it was it of was it a gain of function wasn't it gain of function did it come from a bat soup did it not come from a bat soup and overwhelm everybody with details that they can never get to the bottom of what really went on. I suppose, but there's also the possibility that that they've known this thanks to Jim Hoft of Gateway Pundit, and it, this is really their first opportunity to present this in public in an amplified way, in which case they're doing a service, I suppose. We, we might be jumping the gun and thinking that this is a manipulation of some kind. That's possible. I, You know, Jim Jordan, I'm not sure how to read him, but he reminds me of someone, and that energy that he has that you pointed out reminds me of someone. You know who? Bill Kelly. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, nobody has energy like Bill Kelly. The I, some There's something about Jim Jordan, and it was the way that he was – uh, being nominated for speaker and the way that he was like a ironclad supporter of McCarthy. Um, I get like flashbacks of Trey Gowdy. Oh, interesting. Yes. He had, he now does fill that Trey Gowdy role. I don't know if they're the same. I'm not saying they are. I don't know Jim Jordan well enough to make that declaration at this point. But that is but I have had yeah. I have had some reservations about him and some of the ways that he's behaved. You know, Trey Gowdy was just a rock star with really weird haircuts. And everybody loved him. And he was really like a firebrand and got the sound bites out in the media, you know, that made it seem like a day of reckoning was coming Justice for the left. Justice was right around the corner, man. And it never, ever, ever materialized into anything of any substance or value and or justice. Jim, Jim Jordan is is now in that role. He definitely I, has the same he, he I has don't the know. same market share, but I don't know what his motives might be. I I don't know. I'm not saying that for certain but I'm saying that we have a tendency to fall in love with certain political figures, just like we do with Hollywood stars. And, and that's why they Carlson. and they call yeah. DC Hollywood for the ugly. Right. You know, there's a reason because people fall in love with these people like they're going to deliver and they're going to, you know, they're going to save us or we're going to get justice. They're the ones that are finally going to you know, deliver. Well, by now and, people should know to stop doing that. Don't, you can't look for your salvation from any of these people. The grain of salt you need to take, even Jim Jordan, you have to know Jim Jordan's number one interest is Jim Jordan. Even if he's doing good in the world, all of these politicians, their number one interest is their career, their position. And they're thinking about where they're going to be after Congress too. 
and they respond to pressure and the most pressure where that pressure comes from. And if Jim Jordan is getting more pressure from special interests than from people, he's going to respond to that. Now, I, like I said, Absolutely. I don't know. Jim Jordan may be a sincere patriot. I'm not saying that he's not. I'm just saying that as I've as I've kind of watched him in the last year, I'm I'm just getting a little bit of deja vu, you know, of of uh, Trey Gowdy, who everybody was just so thrilled when he, you know, got to be the head of some of these committees and thought that that everything was going to turn around. And uh, wasn't he with the Benghazi stuff? And what happened with that? Well, you know, at this point, what difference does it make, Jeremy? That's uh, right. Well, so this this hearing, as with most of these hearings. They they have you know they have these overarching narratives that they're trying to convey, and you're sort of meant to believe that they're these are competing narratives. But you know the way you and I look at it, I don't think they are competing narratives. I think they're all pretty much in on the same game. But and I know you you've you're you're you focus a lot on the binary. What do you do when there's four narratives <laughs> that are that are all vying for? For quadri, uh, quadri, the quadri. Quad, so we have a we have, ladies and gentlemen, we have a quadri. Uh, the, the the four narratives that were really happening here was the first was blame China, not Fauci, and playing that role. And I really do believe these are parts. These are parts that are cast and doled out, and playing the role of blame China, not Fauci is. The Republican uh, witness, Dr. Jamie Metzl, again, the, the senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. The primary reason there has been no comprehensive investigation into COVID-19 origins is the reprehensible actions of the Chinese government. Since the early days of the pandemic, China's government has destroyed samples, hidden records, imprisoned brave Chinese journalists, gagged Chinese scientists, actively spread misinformation, and done pretty much everything possible to prevent the kind of unfettered, evidence-based investigation that is so urgently required. China is must be the primary focus um, because, but we also have to look at everything, including ourselves. But if we make this process primarily about Dr. Fauci, even though we need to look at everything, if we make it primarily about Dr. Fauci, we will be inappropriately serving the Chinese government a propaganda coup on a silver platter. I, I so you got to protect Dr. Fauci. It's all China's fault. So that's the Atlantic Council's take. And if you go to the Atlantic Council website, you'll notice they are, they're the quarterback. They're the center of gravity for the intellectual base, the neocon intellectual base of the coming Cold War with China. So if you want to understand the coming Cold War with China, uh, go to the Atlantic Council website, and it makes perfect sense that they cast a member of the Atlantic Council, uh, Jamie Metzl, Dr. Jamie Metzl, to be to play that role. Uh, and again, he was a witness for the Republicans. The second narrative was, don't blame China. And playing that role was uh, uh, Dr. Paul Allwater. He is, again, from Johns Hopkins, your wife's alma mater. Did she know him? I have no idea. I mm. doubt it. Make she's sure. not a she's not a scientist. Well, she's kind of a scientist. She doesn't take votes of consensus though to 
determine outcomes. Will she uh, attend an alumni gathering with a camera? <laughs> I'm sure she's done it before. That would be fabulous. So here is uh, Dr. Paul Allwater carrying the water for China. We may never know the origin conclusively. Making claims that cannot be supported sufficiently by available data only fuels confusion and mistrust. Unless that claim is that it came from a bat in a bowl of soup. Now, I went to medical school. I'm an ER doc. I served lots of patients during this pandemic until just recently. This is Dr. This is Representative Dr. Rich McCormick. And I know how viruses work. They're specific to species for the most part, correct? Uh, they often are, but not always. There, there are some that are, um, coronaviruses are probably one of the most widely dispersed amongst the animal kingdom. Okay. And by the way, I want everyone to memorize what you're about to hear. Okay. Memorize this and be ready to unleash it on anyone who ever tries to assert that COVID occurred naturally. Pay attention, write this down, record it, whatever you need to do. And, and given if we use the origins of a species that was in the wild that came to human contact and gave us the, the virus that in question, uh, wouldn't that virus still exist in that species in the wild? Well, I, I think that uh, it would be likely the case. Right. Um, Ch chances are. That's a good answer. Thank right. you. Mm -hmm. So how many species in the wild have we captured that still have this coronavirus in them? Because that would be a very easy thing to do, given its, wild, uh, its wide dissemination in the human population and its proximity to Chinese wildlife. How many wild, wild animals have been captured with this coronavirus present in them currently? Uh, well, uh, the, the answer is no, but on the other hand... Thank you. Uh, no, that's okay. I, I appreciate it. So, basically, I'm talking about from a scientific standpoint, uh, we understand as a virologist and, and, a, and as a student of virology, that a good professor taught me, just like that yourself, who, who just said that the evidence is that diseases just don't go away in populations that are contained in the wild, and yet we've extensively tried to capture... The Chinese government would benefit greatly from showing us that this exists in the wild and came to human population, yet not one evidence of a certain species, whether it be dog or bat, has ever been shown to have this virus that somehow or another transferred to human. Yet that is our main evidence and theory to disprove that, albeit the Wuhan uh, lab, that actually stated what they were going to do and then had the same problem occur, that's a less likely, that's a less likely chance in your mind. Is that correct? Well, I, I think the uh, hypotheses remain very open at the moment. So, so which one do you think is more scientifically based, based on what we just discussed? Well, I, I, I'm not privy to intelligence community information. So you don't have an opinion? Well, um, I think it is more likely at the moment, just based on my reading, uh, of uh, a zoonotic, uh, that is an animal-based. So, so based on the fact but that... We need to attend so, to both. So you would tend to favor the, the hypothesis, even though it has no proof whatsoever that it, it actually exists in the animal genome, or uh, that you're going to favor that over the fact that a Wuhan lab that said they wanted to do this and then had an outbreak about the same time, that that's less likely. Got it. <laughs> well, there was, though, there was the African president of Tanzania that sent in goat blood or right. whatever for the, and he got a positive COVID result. That's on correct. On that test. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. 
I just so the 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 role of don't blame China is a thankless role. <laughs> that he, was a good question, though. Uh, I, I I never heard that. Like, how many bats have they collected with? That's exactly right. If it if this thing moved from the animal kingdom into humanity, then it would still exist in the human in in the animal kingdom. It would still be in the animals, and they can't find it in any animal anywhere. Yeah, that's interesting. How many bats did they test back then? They apparently have tested hundreds of thousands of different animals trying to find any connection. They keep trying. And the only thing is the goat. Maybe it maybe it originated in a goat in Tanzania. Uh, at this point, I think it, it, it uh, began in uh, Anthony Fauci's garage. Nah, I think that's probably a pretty good uh, guess. He, you know, it's it's interesting. I wonder how much culpability you really think he has. He definitely, he led the cover-up. But, you know, being a bureaucrat, I wouldn't put it past him to have just been completely out of touch with his own department and not even known that they were funding the gain-and-function research. And he learned in real time. It's possible. And then panicked. So you're thinking maybe he wasn't like, he didn't have some evil plan to oh no i don't think that i'm just positing the it world <laughs> i think he's evil <laughs> yeah no i think he's evil <laughs> so you're saying fauci's a nice guy we should trust him he had absolutely. good intentions best intentions good, best intentions. absolutely the best okay. intentions uh, right. uh so that was the you know you had like i said you've got blame china don't blame fauci you have don't blame China. And then you have the third one, which is blame Fauci. And Redfield was, you know, really the person cast in the role of representing that. And I actually think that's not a role for him. I think he he truly does. And Redfield, this is an old school gentleman. Listen to the way he calls Anthony Fauci a liar. It is so subtle, but it is a dagger. You have to have the courage when you're a public health official to say, I don't know when you don't know. And I think the really fundamental, that's how we begin to lose it. When people say that we're going to be okay once we get 30% immunity, and then later they say 50%, and then later they say 70%, and then the press says, well, why did you say 50% before, and now you're saying 70%, and, you, and the guy says, well, I didn't think the public was ready to hear that. Thank You've you, got to tell the truth. you got to tell the truth. So he he called Anthony Fauci a liar without even saying the guy's name. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so the last one then is, you, again, you've got blame China, not Fauci. Don't blame China. Third one being blame Fauci. And the fourth one is, of course, can you guess, what is the fourth one, Jeremy? Russia? Close. You blame <laughs> Trump. The COVID-19 oh. pandemic came to America... In 2020, of course, when Donald Trump was president, no finding will ever exonerate or rehabilitate Donald Trump for his lethal recklessness in mismanaging the crisis in America, which cost us more than a million lives. On more than 42 different occasions that we have identified so far, President Trump openly praised and defended the performance of Communist Party Secretary and Chinese President Xi in his handling of COVID-19. 
And over and over again, President Trump's administration coddled the Chinese government and told us that this was all going to work out just fine, even though his doctors and scientists disagreed. If members of this subcommittee are as concerned about the role of the Chinese government in the origins of the pandemic, then we also need to take a serious look at why the former president repeatedly praised China and downplayed a virus that has gone on to kill over a million Americans. And I just want to make the, clear the record on one particular thing. President Trump, on May 29th, 2020, recognizing the failures of WHO, severed the U.S. relationship with WHO, citing the need for serious reforms. And despite, despite this, despite no reforms taking place, on his first day in office, President Biden rejoined the WHO, which was and continues to be nothing more than a puppet of the Chinese government. So... Much like the first section, uh, a lot of hard-hitting work to get at the bottom of this <laughs> between the racism and and, uh, and blaming Trump. But, Jeremy, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all smoke and mirrors. They use these so. four narratives to distract from what what was really going on in this hearing. And I'm actually mortified by what was really going on in this hearing. Both parties are laying the groundwork for expanded international surveillance, likely led by the World Health Organization. Oh. And, Jeremy, they're going to continue gain-of-function research. And this was coming... What, the, the Metzl who is the Atlantic Council guy, who is the, who is the Republican witness, and Allwater, who is the Democrat witness from Johns Hopkins. They agree on both of these. This is really what you have to watch out for in these hearings is when everybody starts to agree <laughs> because that's what's actually going on. You come from a national security background. How important is it to work with our international partners here? It's absolutely essential that we work with our international partners and with the WHO, and as has been said repeatedly, when those international partners or potential partners themselves are bad actors, which is absolutely the case with China, that makes things a lot more difficult. <clears throat> and then the World Health Organization, which is absolutely essential, is working with one hand tied behind its back. It doesn't have the mandate or the authority to do what it needs to do. It uh, couldn't have its own independent surveillance capability in the beginning of the pandemic when China was preventing the WHO investigators from going to Wuhan. There was nothing that, that they could do. And as I said in my remarks, Dr. Tedros has actually really been at the forefront of fighting for the kind of open inquiry that the Chinese government has so aggressively blocked. That is the Republican witness coming into the rescue for the World Health Organization's leader, uh, Tedros, who we all know lied early on in the, in the pandemic, lied for China. That's the one who was from the Atlantic Council. That's from the Atlantic Council, yeah. And I called them uh, Atlanticists. And that's an that's an actual term, Atlanticist, which is a a movement basically of globalists who want to keep a, a nucleus of power within the English speaking West. Basically, that is so exactly a, what he's advocating for here. Right. That's, so a glo- a global government that the bulk of the power resides with 
us, so to speak, Correct. America, and uh, essentially Great Britain, basically, but with America's wealth and power uh, to use at their disposal. So, and now it's, guess what? It's a, this is, again, this is where they agree, Metzl and our water are on the same page. A robust public health infrastructure and global coordination are essential for surveillance to identify, track, and contain potential threats. Pathogens respect no border. Yeah, so we need a lot more surveillance, Jeremy, and a lot more global structure. That's that is the that's the Democrat witness and the Republican witness uh, getting along beautifully. Yeah, and well, that, like I said, they want they they all agree we still need gain of function research. It's we would be making a grave error if we shut down virology, if we shut down epidemiology, if we didn't have. Uh, high containment uh, virology labs. I think everybody agrees with that. The only question is, what are the guard? Sufficient infectious diseases research capacity improvements to biosafety are essential. Access to BSL-4 facilities assists in biosecurity research. Therefore, new BSL-4 labs should be strategically placed throughout our nation. Oh, yeah, bring them home. Let's, <laughs> let's do the gain-of-function research back home again which is what we were doing, and we moved it out to China. We outsourced it when we decided it was too dangerous here. That's how we ended up in this mess. Oh, and I have to correct myself from the last episode. Uh, I said that uh, that the United States manufactured it and it was released in China. That's a, I misspoke. The United States designed it, and then it was manufactured and released in China. So just a, a, a small but important uh, distinction. Oh, well, that's just Enhanced- like my shoes. Your, your shoes are a small but important distinction? No, they were designed here, but they were made there. Right, just like my, my phone. Yeah. Yep. It, it's the iVirus. Enhanced <laughs> yeah. potential pandemic pathogens, EPP research, a type of gain-of-function research, has received renewed attention. Such efforts can help understand possible human-pathogen interactions, assess the likelihood of an emerging pandemics, and inform uh, preparedness efforts, including surveillance and medical countermeasure uh, developments. While such research is inherently risky, requiring strict oversight, uh, there are risks if we don't undertake this type of research, leaving us unprepared. Yeah, the risk that we will be unprepared for not being poisoned with a man-made pandemic. They've learned nothing, Jeremy. Yeah, what I was going to say, like, in, with regard to Jim Jordan and stuff, like, yeah, maybe it's all interesting to find out where the origin of this virus is. How about we figure out how to make sure our rights aren't trampled on the next time one of these viruses comes around. You're absolutely right. That is the most important thing. They have how about to rip we, out these structures that did this to us. Yeah. How about Jim Jordan get up there and have a, a committee to look at how our rights were stripped from us and still are, by the way. You still have to put a mask on to enter a hospital or a medical facility in this country, almost everywhere. Right. That tennis player, whatever his name was, didn't get in. Uh, yeah, can't come into the country because yeah. he's because he's unvaxxed. So why don't we spend some time investigating how to ensure our rights and liberties are maintained while still dealing wisely with a potential health problem, with a potential uh, pandemic they want to call it, or potential uh, sickness that's going around. I mean, there's a reason to do certain things. 
you know, there's a reason to uh, behave certain ways or, you know, do certain things to keep people from getting sick or healthy and that type of situation. But you don't strip everybody of their constitutional rights. Well, no, especially that was the, the whole healthy point was people. to do that. that. They conditioned everybody to have their rights stripped away, and now they can do it again. Right, and for now the they're, they're in, next, instead of looking at that, they're looking at how they can monitor it more closely. Right, and, and strip keep, our and rights keep away doing even the further. Right, that's exactly so, right. Thanks a lot, Jim Jordan. Right, it, it, all shiny objects, the whole thing, uh, and I don't think that anybody reported on the fact that th- what they're doing there is is. Uh, making sure that they can keep doing uh, gain-of-function research. That's right. Truth bait. We were the only ones, ladies and gentlemen. That we know of. Well, I'm the only one we're listening to anyway. (laughs) I mean, I'm the only one I'm listening to. We're the only ones that I'm listening to, is what I mean to say. You're the only one that I know that would (laughs) sit and listen to that entire thing and pull those clips and that was excellent work oh well thank you very much we had to get to the truth of what was going on there and i hope that other people uh are able to 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 see when you're looking at these hearings when you're looking at this stuff in the future you know remember you you need to look at it there's the surface narratives and those are usually the the shiny objects and you need to need to look and dig for uh for what the real uh truth is going on in these hearings or you can just leave it to me uh and i'll do it for you that's fine. And we need people to help. We need people to do the same thing because there are other hearings going on. That's right. I can only, I mean, there were people sent me like three different hearings when I was already right in the middle of this one. And I just had to just say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And, and, and realize that what, when Fox News gets 40,000 hours of footage from Kevin McCarthy to release on Tucker Carlson, it's not going to be worth much time for you to sit and watch that entertainment news all night long, do some homework, find out what else is going on, and send it our way. Tune in to the Truth Bait podcast. The, I'll give the, la- the very last word out of this was the only voice of sanity to, to saying, you know, no, we should not be doing any gain of function was, of course, Redfield. Dr. Redfield, has gain-of-function created any life-saving vaccines or therapeutics to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge. Has gain-of-function stopped a pandemic, in your opinion? No, on the contrary, I think it probably caused the greatest pandemic our world has seen. And that is correct. And how in the world we are ever going to square ourselves with the rest of the world, I have no idea. Well, that was enlightening. I feel like I was there. (laughs) Oh, do you know who else was there? Jeremy. I have no idea why, but all of a sudden, two hours and 30 minutes in, Code Pink showed up sitting behind behind Metzl. Oh, really? Yes. What were they doing? I have no idea. I was sitting there waiting for them to disrupt, but I don't know. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, suspicion that they're funded by China, and so maybe they were there, uh, you know, just checking out the whole China angle there. Maybe they didn't prearrange their arrest releases, so they got called off from whatever action they were gonna. Oh, and let's do. just think about this for a second, Jeremy. Right now, the hot topic is January sixth and the insurrectionists and how evil these people are, and they should all be in prison. How many times has Code Pink? 
entered the Congress and and disrupted events and even oh, well, even been violent, th- threatened people. In fact, I was told in person by one of their main organizers, Tig Berry, uh, explained to me how they actually get ushered into the Capitol how in does that order work? to stage protest demonstrations. How do they do it? Yeah, they just bring them right in. They get special treatment, he told me. That's amazing. That's exactly what he said. He said we get we get special we have special treatment where we can get brought in to have our protest inside. Of course they do. Uh, yep. So, yep, so Code Pink was there. I thought it was going to get even more interesting, even more distracting. Maybe that's what they were there for, just in case the shiny objects weren't working and they realized that the shiny objects had done their job and they didn't. They could keep their powder dry and disrupt something else. Yeah, or they were just in the wrong room. <laughs> Capitol Police directed them into the wrong hearing. <laughs> I mean, they're there every day. They're there, they're there protesting stuff all the time. You, uh, we've been there with them. I've gone through the halls of those office buildings with them. On, uh, they have lobbying days where they just go through and they protest and they chant and they sing ridiculous songs and cause chaos in the hallway and intimidate uh, regular people that are there. It's, uh, it's a nice group of people. Well, this is all. This has all been some very, very, very heavy stuff. Both the January sixth uh, footage material that you analyzed and the uh, or- origin of COVID's hearing uh, that we've brought to everybody. So I think we should let's end. Let's let's head towards the exit with something a little bit light, something inspirational, Jeremy. I asked you earlier, do you know who Joshua Bassett is? He's a Disney star. I've never heard of him. Neither had I, but I think you're going to be interested. Uh, He started in high school musical, and he recently made this confession in front of a large audience. Uh, my name's Joshua, and long story short, I, uh, I grew up Christian, and I ran the other way as far as I could go in pursuit of truth, and that only ended in uh, addiction, depression, uh, suicidal ideation, eating disorders, etc., and no other teacher gave me anywhere near the peace that Jesus Christ did. That's right. And, and I'm here to publicly declare him as my Lord and Savior. So there you oh, go. Praise God. Praise God for that. That's great. That's great. So somehow he must have gotten bottled water at Disney and <laughs> did, didn't drink whatever they've given everybody else. Uh, well, that's a, that is an uplifting story. And I, too, wanted to end on a good note. Wait, before you, before you do, hold on, uh, because I have something that's, that is connected to this. It's that homework assignment. Do you want to play... What you what you have before? I don't have a clip. Oh, you don't. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I just was gonna just try to encourage people. Oh, just because I think we do have a lot of uh, negative news that we're looking at here, and a lot of there's a lot that we're up against. But I think that's part of the point of our show, and 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 what we're doing is that we can't resist it effectively until we know what we're actually looking at and what we're up against. And, uh, you know, rather than going into the weekend with a doom and gloom feeling, uh, we do have a great God that we can rely and put our faith and trust in. 
just like Justin Bassett said he's doing. Uh, and we can, uh, we can have a better perspective in, in what we're looking at. And, and that should be helpful to us because if we don't, then we truly are, uh, just going to be lost and in, in fighting in these dialectical, uh, paradigms. Yes. You must remember there's more than, than just, uh, uh, all of the all of the distraction and uh, and and narrative warfare happening around us, and everybody should be looking to grab a piece of what Joshua Bassett has found for himself. Um, that does re- that re- brings me to our homework assignment. I don't know if you remember the homework assignment, and we need to talk about when this homework assignment is going to be due because I think uh, we, we may want to. We, we need to give a little bit of consideration to extending the date uh, so that you have an opportunity to to get your hands on. Uh, the homework assignment, which is for everyone to see Jesus Revolution, I don't, whether you have to go to the theaters or you have to stream it, Jesus Revolution starring Kelsey Grammer, and I, di- I didn't know the name of the, the actor who played Jesus. I, did, did you know his name? I th- oh, there's a like guy in there. Yeah, his name is Jonathan Rumi, and he's famous kind of right now because there's another, uh, there's an episodic drama series that's been produced over the last couple of years and he plays jesus in that show and uh, weirdly some people i've heard think he's like really jesus but he's not as an actor <laughs> very, um, good, very good makeup no the, uh, uh, the so reason he's, this is, he's he's popular and kind of famous in that in the in the christian production he's sphere. getting typecast as the lord Right. And so, but he, he's not in this movie. In this movie, he plays like an old hippie that was part of the founding of uh, the Calvary Church out in California and the Jesus Revolution. So you went and saw the movie and you told, I haven't seen it yet, but you told me that it was, your, I quote, very interesting and that I should go see it. So I haven't yet, but yes, but I told I you will. don't take you don't take your kids. Right, go you see it first for yourself and, I, and judge for yourself if you because there are some adult themes. And I've heard and, there is you know some yeah there are some uh, some images uh, especially if if you're not accustomed to it that are some some things you probably wouldn't want your kids to see. They might not even have any knowledge of it at all at this point in their life. And so but it might be, be good for teenagers. This is a, this is a very interesting potential coming of age movie. And I don't want to say too much. I will just say we are all very in tune to the problem of Hollywood producing content that consumers do not want. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian looking for content that is is relevant to your faith or if you are just looking to go out and have a good time and not be presented with with the progressive moral du jour. Hollywood has is exists in a massive disconnect and when I see a film like Jesus Revolution which is an attempt by mainstream people in Hollywood to produce something well, is it? Is it an attempt to produce something that, that gets it right, that bridges that gap? Am I missing it? I am not a Christian. It's possible I'm not looking at it correctly, and I'm missing where maybe it's an attack on Christianity. I don't know. That's why I was very interested in having, I know that we have a number of Christian listeners. I know you're a devout Christian, Jeremy, and I really wanted, this was what inspired me to make this a homework assignment because I want to learn. I want to learn from you. I want to learn from our listeners, and I want to share my perspective, and and, and, and maybe we will see what comes of it. 
Only thing I, I'm not sure it's actually like a Hollywood production. I think the Irwin brothers that made it typically make faith-based films, but I do think uh, well, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer is, is definitely Hollywood. Hollywood and mainstream, and so he he plays the main role in the film. And, and wonderfully, it has, it, I think. It has very good reviews, and since people are talking about it, especially since Andrew Marcus is talking about it, I feel compelled to go see it myself, and it would be definitely fun if uh, our listeners would sort of participate in this homework assignment with us and write to us your thoughts and the things that you think about this movie so we can discuss it on uh, on air. Here, I'll play the trailer for it. Hey, Square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. What they need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about. Because I do not understand. His house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. You've probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome! Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then, that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're going to need a bigger church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. I would say that it's interesting they use the Doobie Brothers listen to the music in their trailer rather than a huge hit song the Doobie Brothers also wrote in the 70s called Jesus is Just Alright With Me. But that, you know, I don't know. Maybe they couldn't get the rights to that one. Possibly. You never know. Sometimes that's what it comes down to. But you're right. That is, and in fact, you know what? I, I I maybe wasn't paying attention close enough. I think in my mind, I thought that was what which tune it was, and I wasn't thinking about. Oh, it. really? Yeah. Absolutely. No, and I'm not I sure how I feel about that, that song. song. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that song either, because Jesus is far more than just all right with me. But uh, maybe that's why <laughs> it could just be your vernacular issue. Um, well, so uh, I uh, I it's a to me it's very interesting. Let's see if other people feel the same way. Uh, I also want to let people know we have an interview coming up with Bill Kelly. This is a new feature we're going to 
uh, platform on the Truth Bay podcast. We're going to feature an episode that is an interview, an in-depth interview with Chicago reporter William Kelly. This is the gentleman who was in the press conference room every day with Lori Lightfoot, the soon-to-be former mayor of Chicago, and this gentleman single-handedly exposed Lori Lightfoot as incompetent and thin-skinned and unable to even cope with basic questions from a local reporter. I am very excited about this interview. I like Bill Kelly. I've known him for years. He's a great patriot. He's a very interesting character. You know who else uh, really liked Bill Kelly? Who's that? Andrew Breitbart liked Bill Kelly. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Yep, he had. There were during Andrew's life. There were times that uh, Bill had some viral news stories coming out of Chicago. Same time I was working there, and uh, Andrew Mark uh, Andrew Breitbart was definitely a defender of Bill Kelly. So uh, it'll be great to to hear from him what he's been up to in Chicago and what how he thinks things are going there. It will definitely be interesting if he. Uh, like I, and I compared uh, Jim Jordan's energy to Bill Kelly, and you were right. Uh, uh, Jim Jordan's got nothing on Bill Kelly. <laughs> Bill Kelly, if I could tap into that energy, uh, I'd live to 100. Um, I also want to let people know we have a new we have a new regular segment coming up, and uh, it's called Samson the Secret Scholar Jew. And Samson is our secret scholar. He's going to be attending a Big Ten campus next fall. He is not woke, but he is awoken. And he is ready to be our secret scholar and report to us on everything that's happening on campus. Is he going to wear a hidden camera? Oh, I haven't asked. We got to do this step by step. Baby steps. All right. We can't be responsible for him getting tossed out of school. Or being uh, being ostracized. Well, if he's already unwoke, then we can't be responsible. But we don't want him to be our overt scholar. We want him to be our secret scholar. I think he should wear a Truth Bait podcast hat. Do we have those? We're getting them. Nice. That's very good. Uh, this was fun. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, you and I are the executive producers today, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> all right. Thank you to all of our producers, all of our listeners, all of our active listeners. We do this because of you and for you. And a little Please bit for our own sanity as well. Share the show. Make sure you share it with your friends. Ooh, that was very well timed. You dropped that last line and then it transitioned. That was cool. I get into the music. It's almost like if the music played the whole show, we'd have a better rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> I think people would fall asleep. They would get what into if a we zen. What if we just hypnosis? did a rap show? Like the whole show was a rap. All right, go. You do it. No, I go, Jeremy. I would Come fall, on. I would fall asleep. I think eventually. Well, I think that's it. Now, back to the sea of clickbait with you all.
Oh, don't forget, tune in every Tuesday and every Friday without fail to the best of our ability. Bye, everybody.